Today on Care More Be Better, you get to meet Tia Morrell. Primary food is our circle of life. So what makes us up outside of our food? It's our relationships, our social life, our joy, our career, our education, our physical activity, our home cooking, our exercise. It's all of these things that lead and guide us into what we make for food choices as well. Welcome to Care More, Be Better, a podcast for people like you who care about the social impact of conscious companies and everyday heroes. Hear inspiring stories from those who put people and planet before profit and personal gain. You'll learn how you can make a difference, vote with your dollars, and get involved today. Here's your host, Karina Belizzi. Hello, fellow do-gooders and friends. I'm your host, Karina Belizzi, an activist and cause marketer who's passionate about social impact and sustainability. If you haven't already done so, please be sure to visit my website, caremorebebetter.com. You can sign up for our newsletter to be the first to gain access to our episodes and access exclusive content. You can easily browse past shows to find topics that matter most to you as well. And you'll find full transcripts, suggestions for actions that you can take to make a difference, and even make a donation to support the show. Today, I'm joined by Tia Morell, a fellow podcaster who co-hosts Obsessed with Humans on the Verge of Change. She is a holistic nutritionist and integrative nutrition health coach who's devoted to empowering others in their discovery of what foods work best for their individual makeup. She is passionate about sharing tangible steps that improve both health and overall quality of life. Tia Morell's new book, Obsessed with Mindful Eating, A Heart-Centered Approach to Nutrition, is available now. Tia, welcome to the show. Thank you, Karina. Well, I'm excited that you're here because I get to exercise my nutrition chops. I do work in this industry and have done so for the past 20 plus years. So uh, it's right in my wheelhouse. So as we invite our listeners to care more about food choices and nutrition so we can all be better, I'd like for you to tell us what motivated you to become so interested in nutrition. Okay, so I'll kind of give you the broader picture of it and we can dive in deeper if you have any questions going from there. Um, so currently I am empowering others to take responsibility for their own health through nutrition because of my personal journey is really what got me started. And honestly, it all started with physical appearance. As much as I wish that wasn't the way I got my beginning in this industry, it truthfully just is. I recall comparing myself physically to other people growing up starting at a really young age and that led into my first fad diet. And once I saw the, you know, the slow progression of what a fad diet could do to me, I started understanding that I could skip meals and really restrict my food intake to have that ideal body that, well, what I thought was ideal at that time and what I pictured was. And so that's really when my yo-yo dieting craze kind of set in. And with all of that, there was a whole lot of self-loathing as well. I spent many years trying to fit in, like I was saying, to the point of abandoning my true self, and I was severely anxious for most of my life, and over the years, that slowly progressed into severe depression. Um, I couldn't sleep anymore. I was having issues being constantly exhausted, even after waking up, and my doctor prescribed me countless medications to help, quote-unquote, fix these symptoms I was experiencing. Um, after many years of medications, I finally realized, wow, my symptoms weren't getting it much better. All, my, all of what was happening was my prescriptions were getting increased. 
And so I decided to take things into my own hands and I really started doing research of what I could do outside of medication. And that's really when I got started into my personal development journey. I realized that I could work on myself internally, mentally versus just physically. And what was amazing is I found that, um, you know, through the food we do consume, how much that impacts our mental capacity and how much that impacts how we can show up in every day. And so I started diving into a little bit deeper and I thought about going back to college, looked under that route, didn't really fit me. And so I found out this thing called holistic nutrition and it blew my mind. I didn't know that people out there were also educated and could teach me more on the whole being of me, not just my physical appearance as well. And so that's when I started to get certifications and help others take that responsibility for their own health too. So you have me thinking about a couple of things. For one, I think a lot of women, in fact, maybe most in our culture here in the United States experienced what you've described in some way. Mm -hmm. How extreme it was varies by individual. But the reality is most are consuming numerous numerous, uh, medicines Mm -hmm. that are prescribed for them anytime they confront a health issue. And that doesn't necessarily help them get better, I think, as you discovered, right? Um, But another thing that comes to mind is body dysmorphia. So I wonder if you have personal experience with body dysmorphia and if that was also impacting your progression. It definitely did impact my progression. Um, Even to this day, I have this thing where I look at somebody else around me and instantly I compare ourselves and I'm like, we're either about the same size or I view myself significantly larger. And that's something I have to work on constantly every day. I mean, my fiance is six feet tall and yet at the same time I'm five, four, I still think we're about the same. And logically I know that's not true, but when I'm looking at him in person, that's what I see. And I think that it, it's a struggle for a lot of people because people don't have the knowledge of understanding it's a choice that we can make to look at like remind ourselves that that's not true and to be able to educate ourselves and find the right people like therapists and even just mentors out there are willing to help us on this as well. Yeah, you know, I think uh, this is constantly kind of reinforced through media as well. I mean, I follow all sorts of comedians because I, I like to laugh, right? Mm-hmm. And one of those is Jerry Seinfeld. And I remember recently I was watching an episode of Car Talk, and I can't remember which specific episode, but he talks about the fact that he sees women all the time and they seem to pair together with other girls that are around the same size. So if you see a fat girl, you see her with other fat girls. Or if you yeah. see a thin girl, you see her with other thin girls. And I just really got to thinking when I saw that episode, gosh, you know, this is really a misogynist and really toxic perspective. For Mm -hmm. one, people are more than their skin and their body types, right? Like everybody is a little different, but really when it comes down to it, we are so much the same. And when we put all of our value basis on what is obviously just on the outside, then we're just dismissing automatically this huge part of who we are. And so I just think that this is something we all need to talk a little bit more about. I mean, body positivity is one thing, but shouldn't we all just be talking about being healthy and being your best self? I mean, that is really, I think, the point of your book. When when I read it from cover to cover, I I got that sense. That's it. You're, You're working to be your best self. Would you say that that's an accurate description? 
Yes, I am so glad that you picked up on that because that's exactly it. We are so much more than this physical body. This physical body is definitely important on our journey in this life for quality. And like you're saying, like quality of life, it depends on our health. It doesn't necessarily depend on our appearance. Yes, a lot of people do experience better appearance when they are healthier, but that doesn't necessarily say that somebody is wrong for the way they look. And I think that you hit a really important point too, that it's it's just one viewpoint. People, and I don't want to just blame men, but like people definitely compare women to other women and then women pick up on that too. And we start comparing ourselves being like, oh, I wish I had her body. I wish I had, you know, the curves like her. Or I wish I had the lack of curves like her. And something that really helped me too was realizing how much body shape, body image is kind of like a fad too. It's like clothes that comes in and out of style. And that's not something I ever really realized growing up because you only saw the one picture on every magazine. Right. Well, let's get to talking about the content of your book because I think that is also quite powerful. We hear a lot about mindfulness in today's busy world. And um, in your book, you talk about its relation to eating Mm -hmm. and also a heart-centered approach. So how do these ideas relate to our relationship with food, what you've learned and how you've put it together for people to consume on their own and ultimately be their best selves? So I really wanted the book to be something that was simple enough where we could go back and use it as a guide. And I wanted it to be simple where people who pick it up for the first time who maybe aren't really into nutrition aren't going to feel overwhelmed either. I wanted to be at a really good starting point for everybody to pick up and be able to apply to their lives. And I wanted it to be heart-centered because of all that self-loathing that I experienced personally And that after I started talking to more people and being more open about my experience, I realized I wasn't alone. If anything, I was part of the majority with that self-loathing. And especially with diet culture and fad diets, we really get caught up in being good or bad. And not, not necessarily true because what one person could eat that may be good for them is poison for somebody else. And that's true for even those healthier foods. It Spinach, for example, not everybody can consume and digest spinach. And it's one of those, you know, fad diet things that are kind of a buzzword of the leafy greens. And like, I'm totally for that. But I wanted people to be able to take the mindfulness aspect into it and make the decision for themselves. Is this healthy for my body? Because I am the firm believer that we can be our own healers when given the right opportunity. And so if we are able to create that opportunity for ourselves, then we are always going to be able to heal ourselves throughout every season of our lives, throughout the time that we age and throughout the time that we get sick because sickness does happen. And so if we're able to listen to ourselves mindfully and listen to our bodies, we can pick up on that communication that it's giving off to us and be able to give it back to ourselves tenfold. So I'm glad you brought up the spinach piece because I can't eat broccoli. I know it sounds like a really simple thing, but it's one of the crucifers. My mother also is sensitive to broccoli. She can't eat broccoli. 
Um, and it didn't happen for me until I was in my late teens. I used to eat broccoli mm. all the time. I'd have it raw. I loved it, you know. And then I had to eat it progressively more cooked and progressively more cooked until it got to the point where I literally get stabbing pains in my stomach anytime I eat any broccoli at all. And sometimes it's disguised in foods and I'll forget to ask at the restaurant if a certain dish contains broccoli and I pay for it later. It's literally like I'll end up looking like I'm about six months pregnant with the bloat that I receive and mm -hmm. um, basically have to eliminate the broccoli by forcing myself to uh, vomit or wait it out. And the waiting it out is super painful. So a very healthy food that many people go to, you know, isn't for me right? And um, it's something that you don't necessarily hear a lot about when we mm -hmm. talk about food sensitivities. People automatically assume that everything that's green leafy is automatically healthy. But if you have a thyroid condition, as a for example, eating a lot of those winter vegetables, including broccoli, kale, sometimes cauliflower, can be detrimental to you. You just have a harder time digesting them. It's exactly right. And in it brings up another point when you talk about sensitivities. It's so hard to diagnose a sensitivity. And so you go to your doctor and you let them know, like, something is wrong with my body. And they're trying to do all these tests, poke and prod at you, figure it out. And they're like, you're perfect. Nothing's wrong. And it's one of those things that it doesn't always show up on a test, but it shows up in your body. It shows up in the communication that it gives you. And it's all about what we decide to do with that communication. So let's talk for a minute about diet culture in general. In your book, you actually say diet culture profits off insecurities. This statement mm -hmm. automatically rang true for me, but I'd like for you to expand on the idea and share how to break that powerful negative connection. When I first heard that statement, I like it, something struck me where I was like, wow, this is so true and I can see it all the time now like I I go to the store and I see it in magazines it's they pick up on those tiny little imperfections or flaws I put around quotes because it's not imperfections they're not flaws they are who we are and if you look around in nature no tree looks like the other tree and it's not supposed to yet we look at each other and we're like we should look exactly the same and diet culture feeds off of that they know that people want a quick fix they know that people want to live the exact same lifestyle that they are, but be skinnier or be less cellulite, less, you know, injections in the face to cover up our wrinkles and hair coloring to cover up our hair and straighteners to straighten our curls out. And they pick up on this and they follow the media. They pick, they pick and choose certain, especially like famous people, pull out their great qualities, make them even better with Photoshop, slap it on a magazine, and then leave an unedited one next to it. And they're like, oh, so-and-so lost 10 pounds in three days. Do you want to know, find out why? And then they feed off of that, and they know that it's not a sustainable lifestyle. They know that that diet that they've put you on, that crash diet, is going to give you instant results. But they know that you can't sustain that for five years or for 10 years or into Heck, even a year, it's hard to, just, like, to go on one of those diets for. And so they want you to fall back and then go back onto the next diet. And it's just a cycle that repeats itself over and over again. Now, you actually work to create a self-assessment among other tools in the book. So can you talk about that and perhaps how it would help somebody avoid the yo-yo crash diet? 
Yes. So I created a self-assessment just to kind of gauge where you're at today. I wanted it to be more reflective and not have it be like, this is what you should have answered. This is what you should not have answered. I wanted it to be where you could sit down and think about those questions, reflect on them throughout either if you are setting aside time to journal or throughout the day where you can kind of quickly pick up on, am I making this food choice because the people around me are making that food choice? Or am I making this food choice because I'm listening to my body? And I don't want to give somebody the right or wrong answer by any means, but just think about it and really marinate on it for yourself so then you can make the next choice the best one for you. And I wanted it to be something that it's not a one and done thing. It's something that you can carry on into each season because like you mentioned earlier, you could eat broccoli growing up, but once you got into your later teens and older, it slowly got worse and worse. And so I wanted it to be able to be carried on throughout your journey of health too because I know that health is not a destination it's not someplace we get check off the box and move on with our lives it's something that is ever-changing and it's something that is impacting us every day absolutely I recall um, there was a period when I was actually in high school around 17 years old that I started to complain of stomach cramps and uh, the doctor thought I had ulcers and told me not to drink coffee and to reduce my fat intake and any acidic fruit intake to next to nothing. And it turned out it was just a broccoli, right? And so um, all of those other choices, uh, the other things that the doctor recommended might have made sense for just about, you know, a lay person, but I wasn't eating a lot of fried food. He was just making assumptions because I'm a teenager. Of course, I'm, you know, eating a lot of fried food and drinking a lot of Coca-Cola or whatever. And I wasn't doing those things. So um, it's just interesting to see that your diet can and does need to change as you continue to grow older. Mm -hmm. And if you want to optimize, you know, you can really listen to your body to get there. Now, there are four things that you recommend doing in the book, and you listed them simply simply as comparing, criticizing, complaining, and competing. And I loved these four C's so much. It got me thinking about my marketing classes and my MBA because they always try to make things, you know, an easy to remember acronym, four C's, five P's, things like that, right? Yep. But I wanted to talk for a minute about your choice of these four and how you think that really reminding ourselves of these four can help us just live a little bit more healthy. So first I wanted to do comparing because comparing is the thief of all joy for all of us. We start comparing our lives to other people around us, people's highlight reel on social media. (laughs) And not only that, but we compare ourselves to either A, who we used to be, or B, who we thought we would be at this time. And when we are comparing ourselves, we are not doing ourselves justice. We're not moving forward in a healthy manner. We are typically stuck in the past or stuck in the future, and we're not here being mindful in the present. And comparing, for me, that's really what started even in elementary school. I'd compare myself to the other kids, and that was one of the hardest things. And I think that was one of my what led into the criticizing of myself and led into that self-loathing and that really had the, it was really the springboard into like my anxiety and my depression because I never felt like I was measuring up to those people I was ever comparing myself to. And so if we stop comparing ourselves, it's a lot easier to stop criticizing ourselves and typically others because when we're criticizing others, we're usually criticizing 
our own insecurities, just projecting them onto the other people, typically. Um, and I like that you pointed out, too, that it was easy to remember because I wanted to have those little boxes being able to pull out that people could remember the quick either little quotes that I wanted to put in there or the reminders, which this one was just like a quick little reminder and um, reflections, like a little reflection questions in the book as well. After we stopped criticizing ourselves and others, then I started to realize how much of my conversations around either health, diet, my body, my life in general at this time was all complaints. I had conversations with my friends. I would start conversations with my friends or my peers, and it would be about complaining about something. Could have been something as simple as the weather. It could have been about something, and maybe I stubbed my toe on the way to work that morning. Just <laughs> something so little. I was just like, I did not realize how much I was complaining until I started becoming more mindful of what are my thoughts, what are my actions, what are my words. The thing you have control over. Right. Exactly. And I, so I started my gratitude practice and that has helped me like beyond words could even talk, like actually make up for it. Like having gratitude and recognizing how often I'm complaining has really helped me in my journey and my mental health and competing. I remember growing up and I was never really in sports or anything like that because I was at the mindset, I'm not going to be good enough. I'm not going to be perfect. So I'm not going to try. And so I wouldn't even show up to do it. But at the same time, I would recognize myself competing with my friends or competing with myself in other areas of life. I went through extensive lengths to not be in sports, not do these physical activities because I thought that's what competition was. And then I realized how much competition I was putting myself in and others around me just by my actions, my thoughts, my the stuff I have control over, like you said. And so I really wanted to stop that too and like really let myself know where do I stand, where is my worth, and recognize that my worth has never come from doing those four Cs, has never come from comparing, criticizing, complaining, or competing. My worth was inherent. I was born with it, and it's in me always, no matter what. As my husband is often fond of saying, it's not a competition. Um, I'm innately competitive. And I think you probably resonate with that too, where it's just, you're always trying to be a little bit better. I mean, I even named my podcast Care More Be Better, right? <laughs> it's an invitation, but it's also a challenge. And so I think so much of just how our society is set up is around mm -hmm. that construct. So knowing when to compete and when to say this isn't about that, I think is really critical. I, I think you're spot on. It kind of goes back to what we were saying earlier, too. We tend, especially as women, I think we tend to compete against each other um, based on our physical appearance, based on our accomplishments and stuff that it doesn't actually matter at the end of the day. We, we need to put in perspective what does matter and who matters, too, and always recognizing it's up to us. And I totally agree with you. Like I want to be better today than I was yesterday. That is my goal every day but doing it from an approach of love instead of an approach of like intense competition is the key for me. Absolutely. Now, um, another thing that really struck me in your book, I was reviewing it just with a nutritionist mindset, right? I'm not a nutritionist myself, but I've worked for 20 plus years in the field of supplements, which is 
really closely tied to nutrition and learning about nutrition that entire time, right? And so you mentioned primary foods. And I think about primary foods being the staples that we consider fruits, vegetables, grains, and meats. Mm -hmm. But you take an entirely different take in your book uh, when you talk about primary foods. So I'd love for you to talk about what they are and how you came up with this. Primary foods was something, one of the core concepts that I learned through IIN, and that's where I got my integrative nutrition health coaching certification. And I absolutely loved it the first time I heard it because I never had heard about primary foods taken on this role either. I was with you, Karina, with, okay, that's probably my staples, right? And then when I learned more about it, they're like, yes and no. So what they call secondary food would be the food we consume. And primary food is our circle of life. So what makes us up outside of our food? It's our relationships, our social life, our joy, our career, our education, our physical activity, our home cooking, our exercise. It's all of these things that lead and guide us into what we make for food choices as well. So a lot of the time we think that we are constantly reaching for sugar because we just love sugary stuff. And in reality, a lot of times is we're missing or we're lacking in one of these areas of primary food that are pushing through these cravings and that are having us make these food choices that we typically wouldn't have if we had all of these areas in our life become more satisfying. And so in my book, I have the exercise in there using the circle of life. And what you want to do is put a dot on the line being on the outside, very satisfied, on the inside, dissatisfied. And after you go through the 12 areas, you connect all of your dots and it makes a picture of a circle, which is never actually a perfect circle for anybody's life at a given time because we're humans. It's not supposed to be perfect. But what we can do is pick out one or maybe two areas at a time that we see a lack in and decide what can we do to increase our satisfaction in that area or two and start implementing small steps towards that. And once we do that, what I found really cool is that, first of all, you start making better choices for your body physical food-wise with our secondary food. And we end up actually increasing our satisfaction in all of the other areas at the same time as we're just working on one area. Because it can be very overwhelming to be like, my gosh, there's 12 areas I need to think about of my life. (laughs) (laughs) And so I wanted to break it down. Like, don't think of them all at the same time. Pick up a small piece. And guess what? That overflow inevitably goes over to the other areas and your whole life just becomes more satisfactory to you. And then we can kind of reduce those cravings, make better food choices, and really live a life that we love. So I think one of the things that keeps people from really trying to attack their diet is that it can seem overwhelming. They know what they should eat versus what they shouldn't for the most Mm -hmm. part. Most people like basically understand I should be getting healthy fats. I shouldn't eat fried food so much. I should maybe eat more raw foods like green leafy vegetables and fruits. Mm -hmm. I should reduce my consumption of meats, especially fatty meats and processed meats, and maybe even trend towards a more flexitarian vegetarian lifestyle. I mean, those are the basics, right? Like real top line. But eating that way 
often takes more time, more time in preparation, more time in cooking, more time in food selection. So I noticed at the finish of your book that you have actually shared a few recipes. Um, So I was thinking along the lines of a couple things. You, You shared some recipes, you shared some helpful tips, you shared some affirmations. So I wonder if there is a particular affirmation that first of all, you might call your favorite, and also a particular recipe that you might also call your favorite that, you know, wouldn't take more than about 30 minutes to prepare and cook if it's cooked. So my whole thing is simple and making it fit into your current lifestyle. Because if you would have met me even five years ago, you would have been shocked that I am where I am today because I did not like cooking. I actually hated it. I, or at least I thought I hated it because what I came to realize is when I'd go online, I would find these recipes and these recipes would be four pages long. You get the backstory of the author, you get the backstory of all of where the food comes from, you know, you get everything and it's just daunting and it's intimidating. And then you look at the time and like, it's supposed to take me 95 minutes to prep and then another 45 in the oven. And that's what really turned me off. And so what I wanted to add to the back of the book were some simple recipes that are my go-tos. And my favorite ones are the food templates because I personally, like I said, don't like following recipes. Honestly, I'm a pretty lazy cook in that way. But the food templates are great because you can switch it up. You can make, you can follow the same template every night and eat a different meal with different flavors. And what I like to do is start with a grain So whether that be rice or quinoa or couscous, I pick some type of grain that I want for that day or for that meal. And then I pick a couple of vegetables I want to roast. Typically, I do like sweet potatoes. That's just what I've been craving lately. So I've been doing sweet potatoes and maybe broccoli or cauliflower, carrots with it. And then I saute up some like onions and mushrooms, maybe some bell peppers. And then I add some leafy greens, Fresh arugula is one of my favorites because I just love the taste or fresh kale and it adds another texture in it and I mix it all together and do not undersell the importance of spices and herbs. Like those two things I never really understood before I started making different meals, but I'm like, these are amazing. I don't know why my herb pantry was not stocked for the longest time. And so being able to just top it off with that and if you really are... You know, some people be like, that's too dry for me. Don't be afraid to add a little bit of dressing on there, some fresh lemon, some olive oil, anything like that, just to switch it up as well. And that typically doesn't take very long. And also why I like it is because you can cook in bulk. Cook one time, eat two or three other times. And it really can, especially the go, go, go social life that people do have. I know it's starting to come back around now, but people are busy and so they don't have time to cook dinner every night. These you can throw in the oven to warm back up if you have glass containers or you can even put them in the freezer and you can freeze them and then warm them back up before you eat them because if you always add that fresh leafy green, it tastes like fresh again. It tastes like new. It tastes like you just cooked it. And one of my favorite affirmations I think that has been helping me at least lately is I'm getting closer to achieving my goals every time I put in effort, no matter the outcome. Because I used to be really hard on myself when I would set these high goals, especially when I was on like yo-yo dieting and trying to thinking that I was trying to get unhealthy, um, get healthier again. I, I would set these lofty goals and then I just wouldn't achieve them or I'd fall off 
the quote-unquote wagon by Wednesday and be like, well, it's already ruined. I might as well just ditch the whole week. And so reminding myself I'm getting closer every day no matter the outcome because I only can control my input. I can't control what actually happens from it. This is just that reminder and it helping it helps encourage me every day to keep going and keep reaching for those goals even when the outcome's not exactly what I pictured. Well, I'm glad you mentioned falling off the wagon because I do think food in a way can be an addiction for people too. Mm-hmm. So um, as a for instance, I was a smoker. I was a smoker for 16 years, a long time from 13 to 29, right? And uh, when I finally decided to quit, it was because I didn't want to be a lifelong smoker. I knew it wasn't healthy for me. I was active. I was into athletics and all those things, but I still smoked, right? And I was going to get married and I didn't want to spend the rest of my life as a smoker. And so I kind of drew a firm line in the sand. And when I failed, the thing that helped me to stay focused was forgiveness. I would forgive myself for the misstep. If I'd bought a pack of smokes, I would pay it forward to somebody else that was a smoker that would otherwise just be buying them right away anyway and say, you know, uh, I may have slipped, but it's okay. Today's a new day and I'm still on the right path, which sounds like it's similar to, to the very thing that you're talking about. Like you're a day closer to your goals. You're on the way. So I just appreciate that so much. That's exactly it. It's reminding ourselves like we are taking steps to where we want to be. And each step, no matter how small it might feel, is another step closer. And those small step is, steps are what builds up in the long run to make those big leaps. And reminding ourselves that, especially with food and diet and reminding yourself that it's not about what you do that one time, it's about what you do the majority of the time. No person wins off of all the votes. We just want a majority of the votes. So throwing your, each action you take, be like, okay, is this voting for the person I want to be? Is it voting for that identity of not being a smoker? And when we find ourselves kind of taking that lapse back, being like, oh, I voted for the wrong identity today, self-forgiveness is what's going to get you through. Having that grace and reminding yourselves that for me, it's always grace is greater than guilt. Grace wins at the end of the day. Guilt will not. Wow, I love that. So I wonder if you could corner yourself when you were 16 years old and just brain dump into your younger self, what would you say? I love that question. First, I would just tell her, like, I love you and you're loved no matter what, and that you don't need to put so much pressure on yourself to fit in because being uniquely you is the best thing you can do at the end of the day. And that fitting into yourself and abandoning yourself is just not the route. Well, I think, Tia, you just about made me cry. (laughs) No, I mean, I I think I could hear you talking to yourself at that moment, too. So um, that's just powerful. I think we do need to know that we're enough. And I think especially girls going through those teen years, it's hard to keep that a central frame. There is so much that is being thrown at especially teenagers about who they are supposed to be, how they're supposed to be, and how they compare to everybody else. Because I think that's just the natural human state. So um, reminding ourselves 
that that little girl within us or that little boy within us needs to be told that too, even today as we grow up, I think is also critically important. It will help us be better because giving that forgiveness even now will help you stay on focus and stay on path. That's exactly right. And it does help going back and like having those conversations with a younger version of you because you do get to pull so much out of it that you apply today. I think sometimes it's easier to look at a child and have compassion for them versus an adult, especially when it's ourself. And so reminding ourselves that inside of each one of us is that little girl still is that little boy and they are there and they're with you every day. And so talking to them and going back and giving them the permission to slip to be who they are and own it is powerful even today. Yeah. Now I wonder if there is a question that I haven't asked that you wish I had, what would it be? That is, it's a good one. Um, wish one that you haven't asked. I think talking about the ripple effect that taking responsibility for your own health has, because I that was something I didn't expect. Now looking at the action that the people in my life that are closest to me are also taking is incredible just because they could see the difference within me. It's not even something that I had to bring up to them. They could see the difference in me and it's made them want to make different choices and ask me more about what's going on. And now they want to educate themselves and dive in deeper to see how they can take responsibility for their health. Wow. Well, I think you just answered my last question, really, too. Because <laughs> I, um, my my last question is, if you could leave our audience with one message for why they should share, um, or for why they should care more about nutrition, what would it be? And I would think it's that ripple effect. It is. <laughs> 100%. Yeah, so really great. Now, before we close, I'd like to know if there is a specific charity or cause that you support that you'd like to bring to our audience um, and to me. Yes, I would love for everyone to look into the earthconsciouslife.org. They have a ton of resources from being able just to donate to different causes and um, getting involved in wherever you can, depending on where you live. And it's about the need to grow and how we need to take better care of our soil and bring it back to life because the soil on our earth is truly dying because of the way we have been farming. And it's something that if we don't take ch- take charge today to change, we're not going to have it tomorrow. And it's so important that we do educate ourselves on this because it's something that I didn't even know was an issue until recently and it's heartbreaking but it's also not there's still room for change there's still time to take action and contribute where we can and when we can because everything that we do every dollar we spend is important and it casts a vote for our future well i look forward to learning more about that particular charity I mean, the reason that our spinach doesn't contain the same nutrient profile it did in the 50s is because the soil has changed and it's been depleted. So 100% agree with you. Exactly. So thank you so much, Tia, for all that you do. Thank you, Karina. 
Now, listeners, I'd like to invite you to act. It doesn't have to be huge. It doesn't have to feel like a Herculean effort. It could be as simple as sharing this podcast with a friend or someone that you think could benefit from hearing it. You could even just pick up a copy of Obsessed with Mindful Eating, because if you aren't your healthiest, you cannot achieve the dream of creating a better world. That's the reality. To find suggestions, you can always visit our website, caremorebebetter.com. There we have an action page where you'll find causes and companies that we encourage you to support. And I invite all of you to join the conversation and be a part of the community that we're building together. You can join rooms together with us on Clubhouse and also on social spaces, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, etc. at caremorebebetter. Or you can also just send me an email to hello at caremorebebetter.com. I want to hear from you. Thank you, listeners, now and always, for being a part of this pod and this community, because together we really can do so much more. We can care more and we can be better. Thanks for listening to Care More, Be Better, a podcast for social good. To make sure you never miss an episode, subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to podcasts. And share with your friends to help us reach more people and spread more social good.